Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nocturnal work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about CineDA 14.10, which begins with Blake kind of watching his hot take about Faisal being the baddie kind of clunk to the ground like a stone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love how he sort of, this chapter opens with him looking around the room and he thinks to himself, I wasn't getting any resounding support. And I was just like, the fuck did you expect? Like, you've just walked into the room and been like, hey, you know, the angel... He's the big bad guy secretly, and he's betraying all of you, even the guy who who's familiar he is. Yeah, like yeah, I I, I don't know, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Yeah, and he really doesn't like uh, Johannes's reaction is proof, and Blake just shakes his head, and Johannes yeah. is like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, actually, Johannes's response, exactly what he says here is. What I can't decide, Johannes finally said, is if you think you're right or if you are just stirring up trouble by your nature, which I get it, but I do kind of feel that it's a little cold. Like I wouldn't have just, you know, gone with it. But if I was in this situation, I would at least take the time to let it be investigated a bit more. Like it does seem, if it's true, it's bad enough that it's worth investigating, you know? Um... Yeah, no, like, I, I disagree, I guess, particularly mm. for Johannes. Obviously, like, for Johannes, this is, is going to sort of read as the most obviously instantly bullshit. Um, but especially, like, something I think this conversation does a fair bit is is help us move outside of Blake's head a bit and realise how fucking insane he looks from the outside. And, and we've talked about this at various times, but just if you really think about everything he's done since he returned to the town and everyone kind of met him again in Arc 10, I think it's totally fair for Johannes to genuinely believe that Blake is like totally allergic to peace mm. and, and to not fighting. And I mean, that's not entirely wrong. I wouldn't say totally, <laughs> but... uh. Like, you know, Rose has discussed how Blake is sort of built to be the warrior. And so I think that's the thing is there is this seed of truth to the idea that Blake is allergic to peace. And I think considering how Johannes has even sort of used Blake in this in this last few arcs to mess up the town, it's it's very fair for him to kind of read, you know, this moment where everyone's about to agree and Blake just walks in and starts going, um, uh, Faisal, Faisal bad. Um, like, of course you're going to sort of think, okay, this guy just wants to keep fighting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like everyone in this room has been on Blake's team before, except Johannes. Right. And I think Mm. they should by this point know that yes, he, he's a bit of a loose cannon, but he at least seems to have motivation for what he does. He doesn't just kind of randomly spout off nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, but like, Johannes is the one who's fighting it, and and I think for Johannes it's very fair. And I agree for most of the others, or in particular someone like Rose. There's maybe this thing where they should give him a chance to speak out, and that is actually what Rose does. And 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 we'll get to that. Yeah. But I I definitely don't hold it against Johannes for just being like you're an idiot in in response to this, because I think from his perspective that's a very fair uh, assessment of the situation. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I do I do actually really like. Blake brings up one point here as he starts trying to, you know, piece it together in his head as he's making the argument, as he's wont to do, uh, where he, he makes this extra point about how Faisal and, and Barb's are, are so big and strong compared to everything else in town. Like, of course, 
they're, they're factors for each other. And this was honestly what really started to seal it for me. I was pretty convinced last chapter, but um, the idea of like someone like Faisal, if they have plans for the town and they're trying to make something happen, of course, Barbatorum's going to have to be a big factor for that because that's like the only thing that even comes close to rivaling his power level. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It It is, it does really make sense like they have to have some way of dealing with each other um and of course from johannes's perspective Faisal already has that way of dealing with barbie yeah right? um but it's still it's worth thinking about um yeah i want to read out a quote here from the chapter where blake says uh, and according to the book that serves as familiars 101 powerful familiars can eclipse the practitioner um now this is obviously a callback to the gathered pages interlude from arc one is it arc one it is arc two two. no it's arc two arc one was uh rosa's diary right yes um this is a callback to the gathered pages and actually rosa's diaries also get called back in this chapter as does a lot of stuff like there's a lot of references to previous things um and this like there's a reference to pose as well in this chapter there's (laughs) references to conquest obviously all kinds of things and it it really does feel like we're taking a bit of a trip through memory lane almost chronologically through this story hitting major beats uh so that we can start pulling the threads back that have been dangling from earlier in the story and start tying everything together for the final uh arcs It, it, it really comes together quite beautifully no, I want 100%. That, that's what really adds to this sense of we're entering the final battle at the end of this chapter. They're, all throughout this, this entire chapter, there's just about every piece of the story is referenced at some point and it kind of feels like yeah as you said everything's coming together um so all those vibes we sort of got from the rest chapter a few chapters ago um about that being the final respite feel feel even more solid now because this chapter gave me so many vibes of everything's coming together and you know the way the chapter ends it's just sort of like okay this is it Mm, yeah yeah it, it it definitely gives you that vibe hey um yeah now, one other point to bring out from this early part of the chapter, which is there's a there's a point where uh, Blake says to Johannes, hey, like, Faisal is so much bigger than everybody, we really have to be careful of him. And Johannes says, you may be underestimating how strong I am. Which, <laughs> Johannes, like, come on, no matter how strong you are, that feels like that's just bullshit. Yeah, um... I mean, Johannes, he's always had a bit of an arrogant god complex and, uh, you know, it's shining through in that line for sure. Yeah. Um, So even though Rose doesn't have any proof, he seems to have spooked Rose enough that she's kind of willing to give him a chance to convince her, although she can't stall this deal from passing forever. Yeah. And let's just talk about these two for, for a minute. Like, even though, you know, this is just ramping up to them actually starting to coordinate, but these two have such a good chapter here like i was all about their dynamic in in this chapter uh i was so convinced a few chapters ago in that rest chapter that this little glimpse of their relationship that we were seeing was going to be the last positive interaction they ever had uh and i was completely wrong like we come here and these two just just work together and you can kind of see everything trying to push them apart like the conversations between them keep getting interrupted by everyone uh blake even has some of those intrusive thoughts but it's just uh these two both fight through it. Rose seems to do some of her heart-based thinking um, by just trusting Blake kind yeah, of right she, from the start. She really she, does help out quite a lot yeah. in this chapter. It's really nice to see. Well, she she brings up the lawyers very early on. And 
on the second read, you can't help but read it as her trying to subtly communicate what's going on to Blake. Like, he picks up on it as, as like, the lawyers are something important. And just rereading her, I, I've headcanoned that that was her on on purpose trying to communicate this idea and start seeding that idea in his head. Like she, Interesting. She straight up, she straight up just says, um, the lawyers just want the Thorburn family to keep going, which was really what, what sealed that idea for me. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to let my, my opinion on this be changed by facts or logic. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sticking with it because I love it so much. Like, just this idea of Blake and Rosa finally working together. Like, fuck everything in the universe trying to tear them apart. These two are actually coordinating, and it's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's really good seeing them coordinate, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had the same thought of you as, like, we can see as we approach the end there's a thread that might be Blake and Rose again coming to a head. And I'm glad that this seems to be suggesting that their t- piece isn't as tentative as it may appear. Um, although we'll see, of course. <laughs> yes, I know. God, that would be crushing now. If now I've seen this and, I, and I've seen they might be able to work together for a bit longer and then to have it torn away now when I'd already kind of given up on it a few chapters ago, that would be crushing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Johannes talks about what what they're planning uh, and there's this line that I really like towards the end where he says, all that Faisal has asked for is to be allowed to guide the demon to the abyss still within its circle where it can most easily be dealt with. Um, and on my second read through, this jumped out to me, the, specifically the word easily be dealt with because of course dealt with doesn't necessarily mean taken out dealt with could mean making a deal with um, <laughs> which is a nice little bit of wordplay and it made me think that i'm sad that we don't get to see Faisal trying to defend himself because as soon as he enters in this chapter he's you know very much like <laughs> yes you figured it out and i really yeah. would have loved to see some of the tricky wordplay that he might have employed because i think it would be really fun to examine but alas we don't get to see that um yeah i i I liked that. I like that pick. It's it's very good. Um, yeah, I I agree. It would have been fun to kind of see people play with with words like that. But um, you know, Faisal isn't about subtlety from from what we sort <laughs> yes. of see at the end of this chapter. Yes, uh, an Afghan hound is not a subtle dog for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, Blake has uh, a bunch of dangling threads kind of flowing through his mind, and he starts to put some stuff together. Um, first about. Granny Rose's plan and how it plays into the the lawyers, and he starts thinking about lineages. Yes. Um. So so to get started, uh, I, I love I love how this is delivered in the text. Like the the conversation weaves in and out of the point of view. Like like we'll be having the conversation with Johannes and Blake and Rose and Alistair, and then Blake will sort of take this opportunity to zone out and like look at Rose or look at the um the grandma's diaries or something and and he he starts tying things together and then just as it feels like he's starting to get a grasp on it we get pulled back into the conversation and it's so like i was so tense and excited reading this entire thing because you just you were kept on the hook so well by the way that this um sort of thought process of blake tying everything together is just sort of dipped in and out of with the important conversation he's trying to also be a part of yeah yeah it's good isn't it and it 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 gives you this same sensation that Blake has, which is the answers are right on the tip of your tongue, the tip of your brain, but what you're in too high t- pressure of a situation for it to, to be able to think about it. You just kind of need everyone mm. to just agree to shut up for half an hour so you can think. <laughs> and yeah. of course it, it adds to this tension that you just can't do that. Yeah. Luckily Rose uh, manages to figure that out and gives him a hand. Um, yes. And in fact, 
just sort of while while we're while we're on this, I'll just I'll just do this here. I I love how for a significant portion of this chapter, Blake and Rose are just standing there staring each other in the eyes, like uh, <laughs> to- talking about the whole idea of them like really working together and just fuck everything else. I I loved that as an image of that. Like there's all these other people in the room who have very important concerns and are trying to talk to them, and Blake and Rose are just standing there looking at each other, trying to mind read each yeah. other, and 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 they get there, and it's. <laughs> It's so good. They're trying to develop twin telepathy. <laughs> and it's just like, it's such huge progress from the whole story. Uh, it, it's great. Should we, should we go over what Granny Rose's plan was? Because it kind of feels like the kind of thing where we know the, the, the main gist of it now, but there are probably a lot of sprawling implications that we haven't considered about things yes. that have happened in the past. In fact, Blake sort of specifically calls out that there might be something more to it and... I agree. I feel like so. Okay, so my understanding of the information we get in this chapter is that specifically Rose Senior has convoluted this whole thing to try and fuck with the lawyers because apparently, like you know, something we all thought about and Blake brings up here is why not just not have kids and and so presumably that's the lawyers. It's some part of the family contract with the lawyers that they have to try and keep their lineage going. Yes, I I think. And- I could sum it up by saying the law- the goal for the lawyers is to keep the Thorburn family in a high amount of karmic debt, not so much that it's overpowering, but enough that they're more or less indebted to the lawyers for a, a long time. Well, it seems like at some point the lawyers have managed to get some agreement where um, the family has to stay a- around, like, you know, like you can't just decide not to have kids because, um, you know, otherwise someone would have so at some yeah. point the lawyer's got a grip on the family in some sort of contract that goes through the generation saying you have to try and have a family i suspect it's not necessarily that it contractually you have to try and have a family although maybe that's correct it it's more that if you know granny rose or anyone else was being too overt about not wanting to have a family for this exact reason the lawyers would step in and take a more active hand so it kind of needs to be a bit more uh, subtle yeah, yeah. Um, although yeah, it could be fair. explicit. I mean, it is fairly explicit in the contract that they have to, for example, marry and take a husband, right? Which is an, obviously a step towards having a family. No, you'd be right. That could have all just kind of been part of placating them. Um, no, you're right. I actually like that. It may have just been that Granny Rose didn't want to alert the lawyers so they wouldn't have time to do anything about it. Um, yes. Because, yeah, basically what's been set up is um, basically Blake has the ability to procreate, but not the desire. Um, whereas Rose is horny but can't have children. Um, I hate that sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, so 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 the plan is to basically get Rose in power, and sort of by the time the lawyers figure out like what's happened and that Rose can't have children, it'll hopefully be too late. Yes, and and this has implications for the order of inheritance as well. You know, things, for example, might pass to Catherine next, who, while is a female heir, already only has one son who wouldn't be a female heir, and so therefore the line of succession would end there, right? Yeah, I mean, Blake kind of talks about how if he and Rose had perished, um, there was, like, a a way set up so that the rest of them would just kind of probably fail. Yes. Um, And... I, like I, I'm interested to know what the plan is there. If, if you know, if Rose Junior makes it and she makes it to age fifty, and the lawyers figure it out, what's to stop them from killing her and having it passed to Ellie or Catherine or whatever at that point? Yeah, um, I guess. 
So I, I'm I, that's a wrinkle that doesn't quite make sense to me. But yeah, like so I think the reveal for us as the audience here, as well as Blake, is this idea that Granny Rose was specifically trying to trying to fuck over the lawyers. Yeah. Um and obviously we know all her stuff as well about wanting to break the wheel and and, and tip the spinning top at, at the right time. So it, I, I still feel like there's something that's going to bring all that together. I'm just not quite sure what it is yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it feels like there are a lot of pieces that, like past threads that should fall into place now that, that we have the information to figure out. One example is it was kind of hinted at that Granny Rose put Paige last in the succession line and this was a little bit interesting, possibly just because she really hated her, possibly because she knew that, that Paige was uh, gay. Um, and potentially now that falls into place with her like being maybe unlikely to have a biological child and that kind of implies some stuff here because obviously she would theoretically end up with a woman or maybe Granny Rose thought that the lawyers would be able to pressure her into somehow ending up with a man. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, when we got the reveal that, that Paige was gay, I, I was very much torn between this idea of like, like I, I was I was angry that Paige had had that taken away from her for being gay. Although overall not angry that Paige had had it taken away from her because it's a terrible fucking curse to, get, to yes. be the heir. So like, but you know, like from Paige's perspective, it's sort of like, it sucked that it happened to her because she was gay. But at the same time, I was kind of like from Granny Rose's perspective, like unless, you know, artificial insemination or something counts, it's arguably worse to put Paige in a position where she has to have kids. Yeah. And um anyway now we sort of know that like this was definitely something she had to do as part of her plan to make the lawyers think she was playing ball um and so again it kind of makes me think you know granny rose asshole about doing it but kind of trying to do the right thing um sort of her mo basically yeah um yeah definitely and i think that's always kind of how we've seen her ever since her diaries right Mm ask all about it but seems to be trying to do some of the right things right seems to be yeah. trying to you know she we the lawyers pass this information to us but i think it's still trustworthy that she actually harbors anti-diabolist thoughts right yeah yeah um and this is obviously another example of that yeah it's like gra- granny rose doing the right thing in the rudest way possible yeah <laughs> um so after this blake starts to figure out what's going on with johannes uh slash Faisal. Um, the answer being, if the house falls, if Hillsglade House is given up, then Blake probably has nothing tethering him back to this world, and he'll probably fall into the abyss too, which as a run-on effect will probably imply that his cabal and Rose will also be pulled in, as will Alistair, and from Alistair, the connections to basically all the prominent figures in town, the, the Junior Council, the Bahames, etc. Um, Johannes yeah. would probably be the only person left with a major consolidated power base and therefore not get pulled in. Yeah, well, all the major figures in this town basically have all their ties in the town, except arguably arguably the Duchamps, well, until a few hours ago. So, um, yeah, basically Blake figures out, hey, everyone's going to fall in along with the house and with the town. Um, I have to admit, like, even the second time I read this, the transition to this line of thought was, like, a little bit, a little bit jarring because we've been weaving in and out of the conversation with all the Granny Rose stuff. And then we weave back into the conversation, then weave out to this line of thought. And it took me a second to realize now we were on a different mystery Blake was solving, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, um, so it sort of took me a second to realize this didn't connect to Granny Rose. Like, I, I read the first, like, 20 lines and was sort of like, wait, what does Johanna's throwing stuff into the abyss have to do with Granny Rose's plan? <laughs> like, surely she didn't see this coming. Yes. Um, but it was, it was a transition to something new. And then... Um, yeah, uh, sorry, I've lost my spot on the notes. 
Yeah, you're right. It, it, oh. it is. It seems like a different train of thought. Just a lot of pieces falling together for Blake at once. I think. Yeah. Um. And then, but then, like again, the way he the way he ties this all together is is again great because he thinks about uh uh it connects to his you know the old stuff Isadora used to talk to yes, us about the stone about falling into the pond is exactly where my yes. mind went reading this chapter. It is exactly pretty was, much explicitly was, the same thing. Yeah, I was actually surprised Blake just didn't repeat her phrasing. Um, but again, it's it's part of that sense in this uh, chapter of the whole story coming back together. Yeah, yeah, and it really is. It, it it really gives you this feeling of everything clicking into place so beautifully. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Johannes, in response to this, says, I swear to you, none of what he says was ever my intent or more than an inkling in my mind, which is a pretty strong oath and proves once and for all Johannes is a cool dude. <laughs> um yeah look I'm, I'm having to start to admit it just seems like he actually had genuinely mostly good intentions uh and you know like any good new cause has been taken over by an extremist yeah um yeah i mean he even tries to use his pipes a bit later which is you know that that's actually been his big noto card i often shit on him for the pipes and the children imagery but that has been a defining feature of him so far as he's never used the pipes i think they were a stepping yeah. stone and he actually tries now like phase all makes things so bad he goes for the pipes and unfortunately it's too little too late yep um so yeah phase enters and basically says you're right blake you got it exactly right here's a little bit more of what's going on now fuck you all see you later <laughs> This is such a fucking power entrance. I love it. Like, Johannes is actually making a pretty good case for why Blake is wrong. And Faisal just kind of walks in. He's like, fuck it. You know, he's right. And I just don't give a shit. You're all so difficult. Like, off you go. Yeah. I would have liked to kill you without you knowing, but I guess we can do it this way too. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Look, he's figured it out. This is dragging on now. Just, you're all dead. Okay, bye. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Faisal, uh, you know, starts to sink the house into the abyss. And we get this line, you know, about three or four lines after things start shaking and quaking, where Blake thinks, the light was soon marred and masked by the smell of putrid meat. And this is before it's kind of explicitly mm-hmm. confirmed what Faisal has done. But immediately this conveys the oh shit to you, right? Like putrid, the smell yes. of putrid meat is such a simple and effective way of saying Barbatorum is free, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so perfect. Yeah, as soon as you read Putrid Meat, you're just like, well, that's Barbatorum, which is fantastic because that is something that hasn't really been discussed since Arc 1, that, like, his his whole thing of, of smelling like Putrid Meat or whatever. Yeah. And um, so it's amazing that that's still just sort of instantly connected for me. And again, it, it ties into that scene with in Alistair's interlude where Granny Rose introduced the three demons, like the idea that the light is affected by the smell Yeah, is just so wrong like, like and, and and also so big and powerful like it really gives you this sense that this is a big demon that's escaped he's his smell is affecting the light which makes no sense but it's happening because he fucks with the order of things um shit yeah definitely it's so great it's such a oh shit kind of line it's awesome um so yeah the house collapses and falls into the abyss uh the group kind of pick themselves up and find they're at the bottom of this strange warped library with uh seeing they can see the light of you know outside high up above um and we start to hear the sounds of the barber coming for them Yes. Uh, so where to start here? Um, I love the idea of Hillsglade House becoming a library in the abyss. The abyss, like as soon as 
as soon as that started to be established, I was like, oh, of course, like that's what this house has always been. Yes. Uh, at its core. Yeah, it, it really is a, a repository of forbidden knowledge and that works mm. perfectly for an abyss library. It's awesome. Yes. Um, and so interestingly, it seems like for whatever reason, Faisal hasn't launched everyone all the way into the abyss now. Like I, I was picturing this sort of Inception-esque situation where at least the house and i think a good portion of the town even has literally just been sunk like a hundred meters or so um it's like in this is a weird reference you know in zoo tycoon how you could lower and and increase the size of the tiles and <laughs> that is a weird reference that's sort of what i'm picturing just this idea of a slope that looks completely unnatural because just in a computer <laughs> game you've just pushed like one tile of ground down and you've got this weird square around it. That's yes. kind of how I see this happening, but with a couple of houses or so. The way I see it is Faisal's power is really to open gateways, right? And so what mm. he's clearly done is opened a gate from the house to the abyss and the abyss has kind of swallowed up the house as a result. But we kind of have had explicitly confirmed that Faisal can't close paths off to people. He can kind of do some tricks ar- around that, but he doesn't He's all about opening bridges, not closing them. Um, and so to me, it makes sense that Fezal has yeah. basically shunted them into the abyss by opening this path, but still has to leave it a little bit open because he just can't. He's not a he's not a door closer. He's a door opener. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Um, but yeah, and, and obviously he's guarding the entrance now, which is this great sense of like, there's a way out, but at the end is the big bad angel of the story. Yes. Um. Meanwhile, of course, while we're down here, we're dealing with uh, the, the barbers in the house. Um, you're, we're in the abyss again for the third time. Uh, Molly sounds like she's about to throw another tantrum. Yeah. Um, most of the councils here, like it's, it's all this sense of everything's tying together. We've got just about every big component of the story, except a few of the Toronto ones. Yeah. In here with us like even conquest is here in spirit uh rose yes. specifically makes a statement that makes blake think she's using conquest which, which if there's a time brings for him it, in like it's now <laughs> yeah you know it's a very acceptable use of conquest power absolutely um yeah it's the end game yeah we're in the end game absolutely like there's even if there weren't two arcs left and like, like if this story was ongoing i i think i'd still walk away from this chapter with a sense of this is it yeah, um, like I think the story does a very good job of establishing that we are heading into the final showdown. Yeah. Um, and On so- a lighter note, uh, mm. Faisal ends the chapter with a dog pun uh, when he tells Johannes <laughs> and the others to stay, which <sighs> is just hilarious and, and a dick move and 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that's the end of this chapter. That's the end of Sine Die and the end of the arc, almost, apart from the interlude, which we'll get to next time. Mm. Um, but before we wrap up our episode, we wanted to do a Q&A for the end of the year. Um, yeah. So we've been soliciting questions from the audience and we've picked some out and we're going to answer them. Yes. Uh, so do you want to grab on first? Yeah. Uh, so the first question here is by a listener called Love TB. Uh, and Love TB asks, which type of practitioner would you guys want to be of all the types featured in Pact so far? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, this was this was a very good question because I really had to put a fair bit of thought into this. Um, like, I initially just wanted to say Dabbler, but that feels like a cop-out answer, even though it's probably the truth. Yeah, no, it's definitely a cop-out answer. It, I mean, it's <laughs> correct. Obviously, the correct answer is Dabbler um, or like N.A., <laughs> But yeah, if we have to pick, we have to pick. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, like, I think the really the reason I really found this hard is 
to to be a practitioner you you're getting your power from somewhere and i feel like you're either taking it from yourself or you're taking it from from others mm. um whether that's with a up, lowercase o or an uppercase o um and, and so I, I felt like it was hard for me to say something like chronomancer because while they don't necessarily hurt others it's such a shit way of being a practitioner like it's so mm. inefficient i don't know why you choose it um and then but then something like an enchantress or an enchanter i guess in my case um is very tempting because that's so cool and i can see so many uses for it but they're all dickhead uses like there's no good way to be an enchanter i don't think yeah um you you just kind of inherently manipulative in that role yes um so the kind of middle ground here i landed on was i liked the idea of the sisters of the torch like i know they're kind of shit because they're using their magic to raise their status um over everyone else but i i just kind of like the idea of i don't know being part of a cool group that still has other lives and and like they were relatively peaceful you know i guess that's what i liked about them is yeah. they're just using magic to to kind of help themselves and not really hurt others and in the grand scheme of pact that's that's pretty good yeah using it for kind of gaining power in their mundane life rather than doing anything crazy in their practitioner life yeah exactly like it's kind of, i guess i've kind of worked my way back to dabbler but a slightly more serious variant <laughs> yeah um but i guess like what i just liked about them is it seemed like they had a pretty good way of doing it and it seemed like the least amount of fucking everyone else over that i could think of fair enough um i also of course put dabbler as my first answer but <laughs> realized i needed a better answer than that um I, I have two i think i think my first one would be probably something similar to what blake was doing at the start of the book where he was taking spirits like june or leonard and kind of imbuing them into objects um which would build oh, up that's your way little, better yeah it's like a little collection of like pokemon-esque items which i think would be a fun way to one not feel too bad about taking power from these spirits because you are they are basically ghosts that would be terrorizing people and so you're kind of like ghost busting while you're being a practitioner yeah you could very Um, easily make it so you're picking spirits who are who who need to be taken out of the picture i changed my answer this is my answer now forget (laughs) we cut cut the rest of it from the episode this this is what i said okay cool um (laughs) so my second answer luckily i've got a backup one since you've taken that one is um i think it'd be interesting to do some like Something that's quite research or divination based, like the idea of being a magical researcher and kind of using practicing to explore answers to questions, uh, whether that's through researching mundane or magical things or or using kind of divination. I think that would be fun and, and quite fulfilling, a way to not be too dangerous and not involve with yourself with too many others, hopefully, but still do something that is important. I don't know. So that that's what my thought would be. That sounds... That sounds awfully similar to being something like the archivist of an institute. Yeah, I realized as I was um, saying it, it might be a bit similar to <laughs> being a, the Magnus archivist. <laughs> um, which is which is absolutely fair. Um, I agree. Like, I, I think the closest we've seen to that in the story would be Tiff. Like, that sort of seems to be the direction yes. Tiff has gone into. She's she's become a bit of a, a um, I don't know other nerd, um, and she's she she did a bit of divination but she's very defense focused um yeah so that's a really good answer as well yes um possibly something like i've forgotten the character's name but the character who is one of the like witch hunters that uh that andy was writing a letter to who seemed to mainly just be a middleman to connect people with resources and information that'd be a role that i'd be pretty interested in playing I don't think that counts as a practitioner, though. You know, that's you've got moral high ground there. Yeah, Actually, no, true. You know, the witch hunters are pretty awful. No, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, here we go. Next question uh, from Harbing- Harbinger Cross Chastity. 
which which mm-hmm. I hope isn't a Parahumans reference. That's a weird. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's a fanfic. Um, <laughs> uh so the, the their question was uh you guys have seen numerous types of others so far in pact from the lowliest of ghosts to the most despicable of demons which ones do you believe deserve the worst and best endings mm. yes this is interesting because i think we both kind of landed on a similarish answer here or at least a similarish kind of problem with this question which is some things that are clearly evil it's too much an instinct. They're too animalistic for you to really s- ascribe morality to it. I think that applies yeah. to a lot of the demons that we see. They're too animalistic for me to say, this is an intentional choice that this thing is making. Where It's much more of a, this thing is hungry and needs to feed, or it's, it's, it's the instinct of this thing to do what it does. Which doesn't yeah. mean that it shouldn't be stopped. Of course, it should be stopped. But it, you, can't, you, you don't feel like you need to punish it, you know? Yeah, like, like it's hard to blame Barbatorum for being Barbatorum because that, that's just what he... Like, I don't think he chose to become a demon. Like, that's just what he is. I mean, this is this is something that's been mulling in my head since I watched Stargate Atlantis growing up because, uh, like, there's a race in Stargate Atlantis that's specifically evolved to feed on humans. And they actually have a discussion a few seasons into the show about whether, like, is it okay to genocide that race as humans like you know just genocide become okay when it's like an evil race that just feeds on humans and the argument that they kind of have is well no because that's still genocide like you're still killing a race and it's not from their perspective it's not evil to kill humans it's the same as them eating like a cow or something yeah Um, and i mean that's that's kind of the comparison i'd make here is like it doesn't feel okay to um just you know blame something like a goblin for being a goblin they didn't really choose this life yeah um and so for me i think there are things that i think i want a bad ending for most specifically podrick um <laughs> and, and i compared uh podrick with Ur, right because to me Ur is something that i think shouldn't exist it should be stopped but it's it's an animal it really is functionally an animal that is just doing what it does it lives in its enclosure and it eats things that wander in right it's it's a piranha whereas Podrick is sentient and intentionally creating pain and suffering for his own enjoyment not even for his sustenance Mm. it's for his enjoyment and that's (laughs) easily something that I can say no you deserve to be you know dealt with in a horrifying way like I'd be happy (laughs) if you had a bad ending Podrick yeah I think the thing that seals that that idea to me is is when we were in his head recently there were a few bits where he sort of talked about how his rules for tackling this stuff were largely self-imposed rules. Like he didn't give us the same impression that it's just, he is whatever the equivalent of has a biological imperative is for fairies to fuck with people. It's almost just, that's who he's decided to be. But I kind of got the impression he could, especially in Podrick's case, he could be less of a dick if he wanted to. Maybe he can't completely reform, but he, he is in, he's in enough control of himself to not be a total twat the entire time yeah so yeah like i i agree like i think i think that makes much much more sense to me um that's probably the answer i would have gone with except like after this chapter i'm kind of willing to say Faisal for yeah. similar reasons like Faisal's obviously intelligent um if anything his instincts as a being are to be angelic and he's just working with a demon here which seems like the most unangelic thing to do so um this answer would have been a lot harder to answer maybe two chapters ago but now i'm and I'm a lot happier just saying Faisal. Well, so this is half the question. The other half is, of the others, who gets a good ending? Who should get a happy ending, right? Yeah. And this was interesting to me because I think there are some others that we've met who actually could be, like, 
as human and kind as as Blake and Green Eyes and Evan are, um, mm. but never really were given a chance to do that. And I think the ones that stand out to me are the Faceless Woman and the Pizza Revenant, right? Because they've they obviously have displayed a high level of you know sentience, human like sentience, and even you know affection towards each other at the very least, and a, a general kind of like camaraderie with the other others and with Blake and and that kind of stuff. Um, and yes, they currently feast on people, but I think that's their human and sentient enough that they could find some semblance of redemption within this story. So I I, I have them as an example of others that yeah. could get a good ending. Yeah. I, I, so before I go into this question, I think we've got to immediately just write... Um, well, I mean, I, I think you got Blake as another at this point. Um, yes. But also Evan and Green Eyes. I think we're all assuming that we want good endings to those three. So it's kind of like... Yeah, that, that's a know, given. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're obviously on the list. Um, I, I was trying to think, like, we just talked about others who are inherently evil. Like, like you know, Ur or Barbatorum. We, we, we struggle to find them. And I was trying to think of what the opposite is. Like, what is an other that we've met that I've just kind of been like, oh, you know, they're just a swell thing. And, and you know... Like, is there something where I should say they get a good ending because they're just an instinctively good creature? Um, this is packed. I don't think we've met anything like that um, that I can think of. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. Like, the best candidate would be an angel, but they just made my worst list, so uh, they're not doing so hot. Um, I mean, I think Isadora's probably possibly, the other one for me. Yes, I, and there's, like, spirits like June and Leonard who didn't seem malicious. They just seemed kind of lost you know uh, yeah i don't know if they get good endings though something like june or leonard's almost so far gone their ending is just yeah. to be released and that's good but it's also kind of tragic you know they ca- i don't think they can have a i don't think there's a path for something like june or leonard to just have a happy ending yeah that's, that's not fair death i don't know uh not without a lot of energy whereas isadora i think in general has actually been a pretty chill person um not a person a sphinx a thing uh <laughs> so yeah yeah I, i'm gonna go with isadora i i always kind of liked her um she was a bit aggressive in the way she went about things at times but you know aren't we all um you know we all occasionally scratch a dude to death for three days yeah um, happens to me all the time yeah so you know I, I think i think overall she has fairly good intentions she tries to stick to good karma but also kind of understood that it wasn't perfect so yeah i'm gonna go with isadora okay uh, our next question comes to us from Kippos21, uh, who says, uh, favorite, who's your favorite packed character who you would predict would be in very few people's top 10? Oh, I like this question. Um, do you reckon Miss Lewis would make most people's top 10? I think she'd no, make No, surely not. I, I've always really enjoyed every scene that she's in. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme in all of these questions. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of good, entertaining villains, mm. and I, I've enjoyed every seen miss lewis is in i think um kira on on our discord when she was doing live reads referred to miss lewis as having fantastic big dick energy <laughs> um which was hilarious but also incredibly accurate like yes miss lewis kind of steals every scene she's in just with her ex- extreme confidence see i i would say mrs lewis but if if it was just arc two mrs lewis i'd be like yes but we did get a scene of her in the abyss basically being a huge dick to blake and that has really soured me on her <laughs> Oh, yeah, but she actually kind of helped him in a way too. Well, yeah, she, she started planting the seeds that led him to the idea. It's that true. He was it's true. Other. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I even then, I still found it hard to hate her, which is what I want in a villain. I want a villain who, even when they're being despicable, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, you're all right. Yeah. Um, for me, I think possibly along similar lines, 
Laird. Like, I know we shit mm. on him or sh- shat on him a lot, <laughs> but I really did find him a very engaging villain. <laughs> like, I, I just really do like him as a character. Yeah, it, it might just be, like, the the length of time since we've seen him properly or something, but, like, I... I feel like there was so much more we could have even seen from Laird. Um, yeah. Like he, the, the glimpses of him we got in Alistair's interlude, there was so much of him that, that we didn't quite get to see. Um, I think there was a lot to that guy. Uh, I, I like that answer, yeah. Yeah, I guess there was a similar-ish question from Terra Gnome, who asks, favourite packed character that isn't Blake, Evan, or Green Eyes? I guess one other character that I really liked is Jeremy. I just, I found Jeremy really relatable, like a, a practitioner who has made some mistakes, but genuinely tries to do what he thinks is right and tries to do the right thing consistently. Um, I just, I, I really love Jeremy. I don't know if he's in people's top 10. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. I've always found Jeremy a great tragedy character. Like, I think tragedy has really defined his arc. Yeah. Um, and, and that's always made him very compelling. Um, I think Rose, Rose is maybe one. Like, when it, when it's not Blake, Evan, or Green Eyes, I feel like Rose is cheating because I've just picked kind of the next main character. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, particularly recently, I've always found her fascinating. Like, I would love to have seen so much of this story from her point of view. Um, like, if Pact 2 came out and Pact 2 was just the same story, but from Rose's point of view, I'd actually still be all for it. Um, <laughs> that would be an interesting uh, sequel. It, 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 it's probably uh, more effort than it's worth as an endeavor, but I would still love it. Um, it would yeah. be good because they'd, for the early arcs, it would just be a lot of book reading, and I'm actually all there for that. <laughs> yeah, God, like we, we've talked about this in every single page as interlude. Just give us the whole textbooks, while though. Like I'll read that shit. I don't care. Yeah. Um, Kipos asked another uh, question, which was, "Do you think uh, reading Pact slash doing Deep Impact has changed you as a person? If so, how?" Um, yeah. This is a hard yeah. one, right? I, I think saying, has it changed mm. me as a person, is a pretty tall order. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer to that. And if a, a book changing me as a person is probably pretty exceptional. Um, and obviously, I think Pact is exceptional, but that's, uh, that's uh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of book it would take to do that. But I do think it has helped me be better at, like, digesting stories doing this podcast. Like, Absolutely. You kind of don't realize how much more you're able to read into a story if you don't read it all at once and (laughs) read each chapter twice you know Um, yeah absolutely um to to address that first point you made i actually would have sort of said you know pact had taught me to empathize with others better like i think walbo's interlude structure is so good at um pulling you out of somebody's head and not just the interlude structure but the way he's so good at getting in someone's head and establishing their just their personality through an interlude um or, or an arc like it's that that really sort of made me better at empathizing with others, I think. Um, but unfortunately, I don't get to say that about Pact because Worm kind of beat it to it. So yeah. Deep Impact has maybe enhanced that a little bit. But um, uh, like that's just something I think, you know, having not read Twig, but I assume is, is universal with all Walbo's works. Like they just make you... I, I think it's hard to read all the Walbo works and not come away a little bit better at understanding or, or trying to understand where other people come from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I think that is something that Wabo's stories really do is, uh, I think he's just exceptional at forcing you to consider other people's points of view. Yes. And I mean, you know, one one of his formulas for doing so is setting someone up so that you hate them and then giving them an interlude where you understand or you learn where they're coming from and it suddenly makes them 
a lot less hateable yeah um, maybe in general maybe the that that is the main lesson i've learned from wild boats works is you know everybody's bad day or everybody's negativity has a backstory you know and yeah exactly as long as you're not <laughs> fucking uh or portrait or something there's probably a very human and real reason why people are the way that they are and it's kind of your yeah. your duty before you judge them for that to try and understand it a little bit you know if you're able to yeah and and, and things like deep impact and and you know i i had this listening to to we've got worm but before starting this podcast uh they that helps highlight to you how distinct and in the character's head chapters are which helps you to separate what you're reading from yeah. what is necessarily fact like it's that kind of unreliable narrator type thing where you when you sort of realize that oh this is something Blake is you know not noticing or not understanding properly it's it's easier to do that in something like this podcast where we're reading it slowly and reading it twice where whereas like you know i think so many people who say red worm for the first time you just kind of buy everything taylor's saying and then it's something like we've got worm that makes you take a step back and go wait she's 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 psychotic um <laughs> so yeah. yeah um i i guess the other thing just to go right back to kipos's question um I think Deep Impact specifically, like, as you said, this has really been both of our first times really going through a story this deeply. Um, and it's it's just taught me a lot about, you know, I guess, as you said, studying a story. And then also the, the, the time commitment for this podcast has been fairly intense. And that's actually outside of the podcast has helped me to realize when I'm getting stressed and stuff. I, I don't know. Like, this is such a weird point to make, but mm. like when noticing as i say listen back to an episode when i'm editing it and and hearing myself and thinking i'm not all there that episode often made me try to figure out why and it made me realize other things in my life that were maybe stopping me from from performing so i guess more than anything i've ever done in my life it was something i had to reflect on more and actually sort of be like oh um you know i've been really stressed this week and it's showing in everything i'm doing yeah interesting Interesting. I guess it's a period of forced reflection when you have to listen to yourself talk for half an hour yes. to an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Kipos came in with a number of questions. Kipos, thank you. <laughs> uh, so here's another one from Kipos. In as few words as possible, could you summarize Pact as if you were about to prescribe it on Media MD? Yeah. So I think if I was going to do this, I would set Pact up as like the, the boy wizard story it kind of pretends to be at the start. Like, I would lean into the sort of Harry Potter compar- comparisons that I think, you know, are somewhat there at the start of yeah. the story. Um, and then the focus for me would be, like, on the world building, like, how much I love the world. Like, you know, the characters are so strong, but if, you, if you've read any Wild Boat works, that's kind of a given. Like, you kind of, you're going to kind of expect, like, 10 out of 10 character work. Um, and what really elevates Pact specifically for me over um, Worm, Worm and Ward has been how much I've fallen in love with the world and the magic system, the magical creatures. Like it, it's just so good. Like particularly that magic system. Um, like I'll, I'll never I, other fa- urban fantasy or, or fantasy or whatever stories I've read since starting Pact haven't actually landed for me as well since I've fallen so in love with the spirit system in Pact. Yeah. Uh- yeah, so this is the problem for me, is recommending Wildbow stuff to people who haven't read Worm, rec- recommending Pack to people who haven't read Worm, I guess, specifically, is so hard because the reason that it's really good is it it's really well-written, it's got really interesting characters, it's got a really strong, uh, like, magic system, all this stuff, but I think, 
I don't think that makes for a good pitch on a story. I think saying, <laughs> oh, it has really good characters sounds just kind of generic. And saying something like, <laughs> oh, it's got a really nice, intricate magic system or it's, you know, it, it kind of sounds like uh, nerd shit. And it, I, <laughs> I, well, it feels like you're selling the story short. Yeah. Like, having experienced the story, these words do not capture how much I've fallen in love with it. You're right. Yeah, and, and, and so when I've pitched back to a few people, some successfully, some unsuccessfully, and the way I pitch it is, it's a story about a guy, Blake, who uh, has been away from his family for three years, comes back when his grandmother dies, and they're all fighting over the inheritance, and uh, he ends up getting the inheritance and then finds out that she was actually... Uh, a very famous author of diabolic tomes on how to summon demons, right? Which is about 65% mm. true, but I think sells the core <laughs> idea in a way that will well, get people it's across the line. It's true of arc one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's I, true of arc one. But even that, I think, sounds a bit too, like, uh, Harry Potter-ish, which, again, doesn't do it justice. I don't know if there is a way to do it justice beyond saying, this is a show, a, a book that I loved so much that I committed a year and a half of my life to it right like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it's a hard um, sell yeah well uh, yeah and i think that tricky bit comes from the fact that the story in a lot of ways is built around flipping itself on its head yeah so like at the start it's it tries to sell itself as as a as a bit more harry potter-esque like boy wizard story that's just like the dark alternative to harry potter yeah and then you know when you hit arcs eight and nine you start to see that that's not what's happening at all <laughs> um but Telling someone that I think would take away from how much that blows your mind. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't want to. Maybe the right thing to do is to talk about some of the really unique things about it, like the unique premises. Yeah. So something like, oh, it's a world where actually characters... I'd probably talk about the spirits. Yeah, the spirits, or I would say a world where characters can't lie. Like, these characters aren't yes. allowed to lie. And so it leads to a lot of really interesting conversations where things kind of have to be sometimes taken at face value. And it's a it forces you to really critically analyze everything that people are saying in a really different way. Like, that's something that yeah. is probably a bit of a spoiler, but also is different enough that I think it would be a nice little unique selling point no you're right that's introduced fairly early on i don't think that's a huge spoiler and um you're right that's something that really grabbed me early in the story yeah um, also i mean just in terms of if you're trying to sell a wild bow cereal packed is the easiest because it's it's short it like, is by the shortest standards, yes it's very short <laughs> yes which makes it a lot easier when you don't have to say oh yeah it's about one and a one and a half of the entirety of harry potter <laughs> yeah i think this one's almost just one harry potter series whoa that's tiny <laughs> <laughs> um, one more question from Kipos Elliot, which is, when did you first fall in love with Percy from Thomas the Tank Engine, and how many people slash trains would you kill to be with your one true love? Uh, um, if people don't get this... Uh, no, no, no. A... Don't contextualize it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, I guess I watched Thomas the Tank Engine when I was, like, between ages three and five, so pretty early on, I guess. Mm. Um. How many people or trains would I kill to get to be with Percy? I mean, I guess it would depend on how Percy feels about me. You know, I'm not going to kill people for someone who doesn't appreciate me back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're better yeah, than that. So, you deserve yeah, better than that. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Put a ring on it before you start killing people. Um, <laughs> so the next question here, and this is back to actual real questions, is from Beard of Valor, um, who talks about... Uh, avoiding packed dice materials uh, have we given thought to an implement uh, and there's there's a, a bit more context around here um, putting aside you know that certain implements potentially go with certain practices and and you know allowing us to have full take backsies what kind of implements would we think would suit our our characters 
Yes, and and by characters, I assume he means, uh, or I assume it's meant like us. Yes. Not, um, not, not whatever characters we might want to play. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously we did an implement some selection thing for ourselves uh, way back in like Arc 2. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think despite the probable Bahame affiliation that I now have more understanding of, I would actually kind of stick by my answer of a metronome. Mm. Um, I still, I think, like what that would express about how I tend to operate, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be a chronomancer, and so maybe that would make it a terrible implement, but, um, you know, maybe I, I'll be a musical practitioner, whatever that means, uh, you know, but, like, I'm not, I'm not an action hero, I'm probably, I'm probably closer to Rose than Blake in how I'm going to try and tackle situations, uh, which is, like, yeah. you know, a bit further back, uh, yeah. so, yeah, I don't know, I think even, even despite knowing a bit more about this world, I think, I still feel like a metronome, connects with me in that way this is such a hard question right i i think yeah it does require a lot of thought and i i gave this maybe about two minutes of thought before i picked my answer <laughs> um so you know full take backsies in effect but I, I i i think i would pick a crochet hook okay um so if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with crocheting it's kind of like knitting but you only need one needle and it's called a hook instead because it's got a little hook on the end um and I think the core things that I want to be, the core themes that I want this to convey are it's a creative pursuit, you know, that is about making something either for practical purposes, like a, a beanie or a scarf, or for like joy purposes, like making a stuffed toy, for example. Um, and I, I think that's the key thing that I'd want to convey about my personality is I'm a practitioner for fun, you know? I'm I'm the one punch man of <laughs> practitioners. I'm just a casual practitioner for fun, guys. Um uh I, I possibly a musical instrument would be another one like this where it's kind of a hobby based thing that that then conveys a bit about the kind of person you are. Um but for a crochet hook it also does kind of look and function a bit like a magic wand as well. So it might pass in more, you know, highbrow wizard societies, which would be useful. Yeah. I like I like that actually. You're right. It's it's got that classic sort of phallic. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, old, old implement style. Yeah, if you hold it upside um, down, it just looks like a magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, especially with the crocheting thing, I'm picturing like it ties into what you talked about being a practice, like imbuing things. I'm I'm p- picturing you crocheting. Uh, magical things like basically yeah. parian, Par- parian yeah parian practitioner <laughs> exactly right that's what i was thinking as well as i did it but uh well yeah like parian no no spoilers i guess um there was another question yeah. from beard of valor which was similar to the other question from who was it from kippos yeah similar to the kippos's question uh which character from avatar the last airbender or legend of korra uh, who's not likely to be on a top 10 or top 15 list for the show, show do you most enjoy? And that excludes, like, you know, the main protagonists, Iroh, Boomy, etc. Yeah, basically all the people who w- would have made top 15. I mean, yeah. Bidaval left Suki off the list, um, but because I'm not a practitioner, I'm, I'm not going to be all technical like that and assume that Suki should be on that list. Maybe she counts as part of the Aang gang, which was listed, but... Um, I think she does. Yeah, anyway... Um, not, not, not necessarily a pack question, but uh, I'm always keen to talk about Avatar. Um, uh, I don't know. Who, who did you put down for this one? Ruby? So for Korra, I put down Tarlok, who I didn't... He didn't stick with me on my first watch through the show, but when we were recently re-watching it for the Doofcast episode on Korra, I was really into him as a character. I found him really engaging, so... Yes. Tarlok. Uh, for The Last Airbender, some characters who don't appear that much, but I really liked are... Uh, 
Aunt Wu. Do you remember Aunt Wu from the Cloud yeah, Fortune Telling episode? Yeah, that's the Fortune Telling. Yes, Fortune Telling lady, right? Um, yeah, because she's like this really interesting blend of kind of mystical uh, fortune teller who obviously uses some magic to get answers and is kind of uh, you. You would be right to be a bit skeptical, but also quite wise in that she gives the characters genuinely quite good advice and just seems like all around a pretty chill kind of person. So I put down her. Um, from the villain side, Long Feng is a great villain. He's the perfect blend of like really yes. diabolical, but also just out of his league. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he hampers team avatar for a while. And then as soon as they start getting serious, he's almost immediately not enough to deal with them. And so it's always in there to help out the, uh, the Duncan behemoth, the avatar. Exactly universe. right. Um, yeah, I, I, as we sort of touched on earlier, there's a bit of a theme of villains here. Mine was just Zaheer. I only picked one for the whole show. Um, but again, like, like for me, villains just define stories usually. They're, they're always my favourites. And Zaheer is possibly one of my favourite villains in anything ever, especially out of all of Avatar. Um, in fact, season three of Korra is my favourite of all the Avatar things. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I know sometimes Matt listens to our show and, and hasn't watched this and I'm hoping he will. So I'll just sort of say... Zaheer and, and his group just single-handedly elevated season three of Korra for mm. me to above the, the rest of both series. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Zaheer is a great villain. Um, so before we end up uh, doing more Q&A than we did episode this episode, um, <laughs> uh, let's start to wrap it up. I, I guess the final questions are yes. about uh, what are we going to do next? So Juanson asks, are we planning on reading Twig? Uh and uh, we also got a question from Terra Gnome, who was asking, what are our plans after Deep Impact, after all packed up uh, at the end of the show? Um, what are we going to do next? Yeah, well, so to tackle Juanzen's uh, question on Twig, my plan is to read it one day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to say soon, but... Um you know, like no, no guarantees. Yeah. For me, I was, I actually have read about half of it. I, I started reading it about a month before we started this show because I was really excited <laughs> to do more Wabo stuff. And then we started this show and I was reading Ward and reading Pact and I just couldn't read the third Wabo <laughs> yeah. work at the same time. It was just a bit too much. And so I kind of fell off it. Um, I'll hopefully finish it off soon. I did really enjoy it, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, um, I haven't even managed to keep packed and ward up. I've, I usually, I, I've fallen into a habit of falling an arc or two behind in ward and binging to catch up, and then falling behind again. So, yeah, um, I'm impressed you're you're managing to do both, honestly. Yes. So after Deep Impact, uh, so obviously we have another show, Media MD, which uh, is still going to be around in its current incarnation. Um, yes. And to end Deep Impact, we're doing all packed up a 24-hour live stream, just because we want to fuck ourselves over with an aggressive recording schedule <laughs> one last time. <laughs> As is as is the the you know main essence of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but what comes next, Elliot? What are we going to do next? I mean, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to take a little break. Um, I don't know exactly how long yet, but it's particularly after all packed up. I think we're just going to need a bit of time to rest and recuperate. Yes, um, at least a as few much weeks, if as, not longer. As, yeah, like Deep Impact has been so much fun, but it's it's been a lot of work, and I think we both need some time to just rest yeah. uh, a bit because obviously we have full-time jobs on top of doing this um but but that said i've i've really enjoyed doing well yeah i've really enjoyed doing a, a podcast that's focused on deep diving into one story yes and a, a completely original that, idea that we didn't just steal from a different podcast <laughs> yeah. on the doof media network <laughs> <laughs> um no uh, yeah originality aside it's been very fun to do uh and it is something i'd like to do with something else um 
what exactly that might be is is still to be determined on honestly um we've kicked around a few ideas and in fact i think what we're thinking at the moment is maybe just doing a bit of a pilot season yeah um kind of like what the adventure zone did after balance or what what i did just before packed um, yeah where we just try out a few things and see what everyone thinks yeah, I really like the idea of, I mean, we, ha- we have a document where we have like five or six different show ideas that we might want to do that we kind of get really excited about and then realize, wait, we can't do this and Deep Impact, so let's just yes. put it in the document and talk about it in a few months. Um, and we probably will release, you know, like three to four episodes of different podcasts and see what people like, see what the Doof yeah. Media community would be interested in and, and see what people get excited about and what we would get excited about and then decide from there. That's our current plan. Yes. Um, and then I, I guess the only other thing, we've, we've actually both kind of had solo projects that are, you know, are somewhat Doof-centric that have been on the on the back burner while we've been doing Deep Impact. Um, so I'd expect us both to kind of kickstart those as well i mean the the big thing about any future story deep dive podcast that replaces deep impact is it will have a less intense schedule um to to leave us room to explore some of those other ideas yeah definitely um yeah and so uh if you you know i I think it would be good for us to do for this pilot season and for some of the other stuff we're talking about i think we really wanted it to be still as communal as deep impact feels to us yes um because since joining the Doof Media Network, it really has been a great feeling of having this community that you can rally behind stuff that you really enjoy, like Pact. And I'm really thankful that we have such an awesome community of patrons to rally behind the show. Um, and if you'd like to become one of those awesome patrons to rally behind the show, you can head Same on over us. to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and support the Doof Media Network. Uh, yes, uh, while you're there, uh, also swing by patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Yes. Uh, obviously, he's writing all these stories and, you know, this podcast and, and We've Got Ward and We've Got Worm wouldn't exist without them. Um, on that note, yeah. I think, I don't know, or should, should we bring up, like, it, obviously, if, if Wildbo if does anything next that's pact-related, pack, we'll probably come back to some degree. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, most likely. Um, either as something in... Uh, in the deep impact feed or maybe as some like bonus content for doof patrons we'll see we obviously it's pretty yeah. tentative at this point yeah we don't know what wabo's planning in that department yeah um but the best place to stay up to date with some of this stuff is on our twitter at media md podcast because we post all of our stuff there anyway yes uh and also obviously there's the doofmedia.com website which uh for those of you who don't know has a calendar on it which tells you when everything's coming out in fact that calendar now uh, figures out what time zone you're in and shows the calendar in your time zone, not just the Chicago time zone, which is a nice improvement. Yay. Um, and I, I mean, if if you go there now, I think it's going to look pretty empty apart from us because it's the holidays. Um, so we're the only we, hard we, workers we pre- here. <laughs> yes, uh, well, we're one of the few who can pre-record uh, all their episodes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Don't give away the it's, secrets. Uh, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, oh God, I'm here recording on Boxing Day yeah um yeah but no so it's um you know it's a great page to sort of see what else is coming out soon um if you have thoughts on cnada 14.10 on any of the questions that we answered uh, on all packed up anything you'd like to see for that or even on anything that you'd like to see any shows that you might like to see us do we're open to suggestions why not leave them in our discussion thread which we'll have linked down in the show notes down below 
Yep. So apart from that, we'll see everyone on Friday, the 3rd of January. We're entering 2020. Woo-hoo! Oh, my God. Uh, and that'll be finishing off Cine Dea with 14.x. We'll see you then. Um, ooh, interlude. Ooh.